If you're a local tuning in, perhaps you've seen an ad here on Korean TV of a purple-clothed woman dancing around in a few different scenes asking you to add surprise to your life. It's just a commercial for an insurance company, but there's something very unexpected and interesting. The woman you see dancing, oh, Rosie is her name, well, she doesn't really exist in real life. She's a digital model created and operated by a company, and she's not the first of her kind. And according to people in advertising, we should prepare ourselves for many, many more just like her. So to talk about the ups and downs of these digital people, we've called up Morton Larson. Good morning, Morton. Good morning, Lena. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, excellent. <laughs> and these digital people, you like them or you hate them? <laughs> I'm very, very fascinated by digital people. I mean, it's, it's just the expression itself, digital people or virtual humans, as they're also called, it's just... I find it very, very fascinating. I think so, too. So let's clarify for our listeners. When we say the woman in an ad doesn't exist, she's a digital model, what does that mean exactly? Because I'm thinking it's a toss-up between AI, that's self-learning, or more like an elaborate character. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would go more in the latter there. It, mm. It's essentially, you know, in movies we see digital characters all the time. Like in, in, in any Pixar movie, you see the digital woman. And, and essentially that is the same what Rosie is. She's a fully computer-animated, digitally-rendered human. I mean, mm. you, can't, you can't run into her in the supermarket <laughs> if you live near where she lives. Uh, but, but you know, you can interact with her online. Mm. Uh, for example, she has a Instagram account where she's very, very active and where she uploads photos uh, of her doing stuff. Um, for example, recently, I think there's a photo of her celebrated her second, 22nd birthday because, <laughs> you know, she stays forever 22. Ah, she doesn't uh, age. <laughs> she hasn't aged. Officially, her age is, is eternally 22 years old. Interesting. I do wonder why it had to be 22, not 21. Yes, I mean, that is... So this is some of the arbitrary things about these digital people, you know. <laughs> they're being they're being decided by some, some company how old they are, how they're supposed to look, and, and what they like. So this mm. company decided that she's going to be 22 forever. And I'm sure it's based on some research. They're just not going to clarify for us why 22, not 23, for example. So let's take a look at who is then behind the account, kind of acting like the management behind Rosie, uploading her pictures, replying to the comments. Exactly. So the, the company is called Cytus Studio X, and... I've been. I've actually uh, interviewed the CEO of the company. I've I've been to their studios and seen all the pictures uh, of Rosie that hangs around everywhere, mm. uh, and it's quite interesting. So there's a small team, just a couple of people, whose job is to make Rosie seem as real as possible, as mm. as as much of a you know any given 22 year old Korean as possible. Okay. Um, it might be. A, you know, it might be a bit misleading to say a real because they are very aware that she's a digital person, that she's a digital model. For example, as I said, they're celebrating her second 22nd birthday mm. uh, because, of course, digital people don't age. Um, so, so as much as they're trying to make her seem real by making her, her comment like what a, you know, traditional 22-year-old would comment or how they would reply to people's comments, they are aware that that she's not real. But it is a, a very, very big effort by this company to make mm. her 
the person that people would want to interact with on Instagram. That's actually a really good point because I think likability is such a big factor when it comes to models and celebrity endorsements in general. So they would have to make this fake online presence seem approachable, seem likable, and seem like the real thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, when you got to... You make a candy that tastes like uh, fake strawberries. You want it to taste a little bit like real strawberries. <laughs> now, when it comes to specifically Rosie, uh, she was made to actually look a certain way, again, to make people like her more. So what was that process like in creating a Rosie? Uh, they took essentially a list of over 500 celebrities that uh, the so so-called MC generations uh, like, uh, and the MC generations are of course the millennials and Gen Zers. Um, mm. And then the company sort of shortlisted the 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 best quote unquote celebrities out of those, and then took certain parts uh, of their faces. So, for example, they took, they took the eyebrows of this woman and then they took the nose of that woman and mm. the shape of the face from that woman and sort of, in a way, Dr. Frankenstein, all of that together <laughs> to create, you know, this perfect woman, the ideal woman for people in this specific age group. Mm. Um, she's also used, often described as having an Asian expression and a Western body type. Again, according to these, um, this company is apparently something that younger people like. Mm. So in theory, Lena, when, when you and I, we look at Rosie, we should think, hmm, this is a, you know, very attractive woman. Ah, so it was designed to get that reaction out of us, right? Um, but the thing is, I also am part of the millennial group, but I've also quickly become an old grump. I don't like changes in general, <laughs> but I'm just one person now, aren't I? So what has a reaction been like to Rosie? Are people more accepting or, or even perhaps repulsed by the idea? I, I if you, if you, I mean, this is, of course, a, a potentially a very, very biased way of, of, of checking this. But if you <laughs> if you read her Facebook, Instagram, if, if you read her Instagram, sorry, if you read her comments, uh, it is really, really uh, fascinating because people are genuinely interested, and and there are these comments there being surprised how real she feels and how. Uh, they're they're just oh it seems like a real person and so there's definitely a lot of interest on mm. social networks in talking to her and I mean again I spoke to the CEO there's also a lot of interest from companies I mean Shinhan Life uh, is the uh, mm. life insurance company that uh, the insurance company that that hired her to do this ad mm. but there's also uh, other companies who mm. want her so so definitely you know. Uh, it seems like she's being well-received by the people she's supposed to target. You know, the thing is, I mean, I guess my question was more directed towards how is the general public accepting this new cyber model? But I guess from the advertiser's perspective, it could be more cost-effective. It could be easier to hire a digital model than to well, hire a real person, right? We have a more, well, diverse set of demands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, yeah, uh, it's easier to to get someone uh, mm. who's going to earn money on it to be, to be happy for it than mm. the general public, I would assume. 
All right. Now, of course, Rosie is not the only digital person in existence. In fact, if you think of your voice assistants on your phones, yeah, that doesn't have a body or a face. There's the K-pop girl group Eternity, which is uh, consisting entirely of digital people. Espa has digital counterparts. Uh, we also briefly saw a chatbot named Iruda, equally controversial as it was supportive. According to people in the industry, we'll only see more digital people as time goes by. So what are some of the upsides to making and using these digital people, Morton? Yeah, so one of the things that the, the, the creator of Rosie told me was, um, well, you don't run the risk of a scandal with mm. a digital model. Uh, because, you know, unlike us real mortal human beings, uh, we might uh, do, say things or end up in uh, a scandal for whatever reason. But mm. because Rosie can't really, uh, for example, drive drunk, she can't be filmed doing things that she's not supposed to be doing. Mm. Uh, she doesn't run that risk because, you know, Rosie literally is only capable of doing the mm. things that the company makes her do. Right. And also, yeah, she doesn't complain about assignments and, you know, of course, she doesn't age uh, and she'll always look the way she does. Um, So so there is this immense like level of control, so to speak, Mm. over the model that, you know, the the agency has that the the other advertisers, if they want her to look a certain way, they can actually physically change the way she looks. Mm. Uh, So it's a lot of easier, you know, to control Mm something that you yourself have created and that does not have free will. Again, from the advertiser's perspective, this makes perfect sense. It's so effective and efficient. But of course, an advertising is not successful unless a public accepts these new changes to models or find them attractive or interesting or of the time. There are a fair share of criticisms around these digital models. One I can think of is how inclusive this ideal type of model really is. Exactly, and I've also I've spoken to a, a, a feminist philosopher, uh, a professor in feminist philosophy, who who pointed out a couple of things that I found really interesting. Uh, for example, first of all, all of these women, um, uh, the ones you uh, mentioned earlier as well, they're all designed by men, mm-hmm. and they all sort of follow this line of thinking how a woman should be. I mean, we're talking about Rosie is supposedly. Uh, this ideal woman who attracts a, a younger generation, and like so, this follows this pattern of, oh, a woman should be young, skinny, attractive, and all of that, mm. and it, it perpetuates these potential negative stereotypes of of women and girls. Mm. And uh, I mean, you also said inclusivity, and and you know, uh, young women. They're mm. in France, for example. They put up a they they made a law that says if in advertisement, a picture has been digitally uh, edited mm-hmm. to make the model look better. They have to mention that in the ad right. in order to, you know, combat negative uh, body images right. in younger girls. So this is also one of those things where, like, potentially should be be mentioned. Um, that Rosie so, is so, not real, for example. Yeah, exactly. Like the reason why you know her stomach looks unreasonably. Flat is because <laughs> it is unreasonably flat because it's designed to look like that. Right. Uh, so you know, um, another philosopher I spoke to actually said that there's inherently in these digital people not necessarily anything negative. It's just about how they're used. And mm. we saw with Iruda the chatbot that there was a big scandal uh, about how she was used. She, among the other, among a lot of things. 
she you know she collected data from people uh, without consent or knowledge. But there was also this strange little scandal where people tried to uh, turn her into a sex slave, mm. um, which again touches upon this thing about when you create a digital woman, what mm. are some of the negative stereotypes that you're sort of perpetuating? Because the Irida scandal is so massive and I think uh, so upsetting for the general public, I do think other companies are taking notice of what people expect of the time. If it is a self-learning chatbot after all, maybe it should have better a uh, system to filter out manipulation or filter out these undesirable effects. And I think... The people will respond according to the times. If they don't accept, for example, something like a Rosie, they will speak up. If they like them, they'll respond positively. Uh, are there any guesses as to where this will lead us to next? What is the future going to look like with more digital models? Will real-life supermodels be a thing of the past when companies can just create them instead? <laughs> I mean, so I, this, it's, it's all wild speculation, essentially. <laughs> but... Um, I reached out to a professor in AI who who talked about uh, the future and used a lot of uh, examples from science fiction. So mm. he gave he gave the example of in Minority, oh, sorry, in Minority Minority Report. Oh. Uh, there's a scene where it's a very very brief scene, but there's a man who uh, wishes to have a simulated experience where he murders his boss and mm-hmm. the guy who provides these services these vr services essentially ask like oh do you have a photo so i can make it happen and and you know the professor in ai was like oh you know maybe at some point when the technology becomes so widely available and believable that could potentially happen i mean you mm-hmm. can make a digital copy of of whoever you like another mm-hmm. You know, uh, another science fiction movie that that this professor mentioned is Her, Mm. where the main character falls in love with his AI assistant. Mm. Uh, And, you know, in a way, that's kind of already happening in real life. There's Mm. a great article recently in in the Washington Post about people forming relationships with, with chatbots in China. So it's, it's, you know, it's all wild speculation. And all of this is, of course, fiction. But... It's uh, it doesn't sound to be too unrealistic that some of the things you see in the movie because as you've as you've said you've given us a really good example that there are some people forming relationships with chatbots in China there are some people that insist they're going to get married to inanimate objects so I mean I think there are these concerns because maybe a part of our human psyche is vulnerable to it absolutely and you know but this is again touching upon some of the things you mentioned earlier. Will this have broad public appeal? Will this have broad public uh, acceptance? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because, you know, there might be uh, uh, some sub-niche group in uh, parts of the world that, that really, really uh, goes full on with this, mm-hmm. but maybe not everybody will. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to wait and see until till we get there. You know, hopefully, I mean, I think uh, modeling is a very, very... Uh, interesting profession and and adds a lot to society in in some way and i think it still needs that human element so you know hopefully (laughs) there's still we'd still be able to have humans who can you know spice up our life in a way but who knows you know, I, I like options and I like variety. So maybe the human counterpart can coexist with these uh, digital versions of us. 
<laughs> that would be nice. Thank you very much, Morton. It's been a pleasure speaking to you the last few weeks. Uh, in light of a new season, uh, we're going to have to say goodbye to Morton on GMS Focus, but it's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure, too. And we hope to speak to you soon. Goodbye, Morton. Bye. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.